Rock and Roll Chicago Podcast. How's things today, Ray? How you feeling? Not too bad. It's, you know, it's not, you know, this this whole pandemic thing and this quarantine, it's really kind of a drag. It is kind of a drag. It and, is. Uh, mercy, mercy, mercy. I don't know how long this is going to go on. <laughs> oh, boy. You planned that. You planned that, that segue, didn't you? Yeah, I think I did a little bit. Uh, we got a, a special guest today for our episode 50, our 50th episode. Episode 50? No way. Yeah, half a hundred. Wow, that's cool. We're going to have to together and do a couple shots of tequila or something. That's right. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. And long, long time coming here, but we made it. We made it to 50. Let's hope for another 50, yeah? That That's right. That's right. A century of episodes. So who's our guest? Today we're speaking with Carl Giamarisi of Chicago's very own the Buckinghams. Yeah, we talked to Carl and uh, talked to Carl for almost an hour and he, we got uh, some great stories from Carl and uh, and uh, he's he's just he was very nice and very polite and very uh, very forthcoming with this with his stories. Thanks. Yeah, he very, very much so. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate that he uh, he took the time out to do an interview with us. Yes, we do. So let's get to it and uh, see what Carl, uh, uh, all that Carl had to say. Let's go. Welcome, everyone, to our 50th podcast, and a 5-0, 50th podcast. And we've got a special guest with us today. We've got Carl G. Marisi of the Buckinghams. How are you doing today, Carl? I'm doing pretty good. I hope you guys are, too. We're and crazy, uh, it's a crazy time right now with this uh, pandemic, and uh, we're all kind of social distancing. And it's a different way of life. But, uh, but we're all becoming Zoom experts. Yeah, we're becoming Zoom experts. Uh, I was trying to figure out how to uh, take my whole band and do a, you know, a, a Zoom everybody in and have everybody do a song together. So, uh, that's something that I'm I'm looking into. You know, I, I've been keeping busy with doing my little videos. Uh, yeah, I've noticed. That. I've noticed that you've done a few of them and uh, several of the songs, right? Uh, several of the Buckingham songs. Yeah, I picked. I think I've done about 15 songs already. I've done uh, all the Buckingham's hits and, and a couple other, you know, album cuts. And then I started doing some of my other favorites. I uh, uh, I did a, a few Beatles songs. You know, I did. A, I'm a loser from my Tofano and G. Marisi days. I did that. I did uh, Blackbird. I did Yesterday. Um, you know, did an original song. Um, uh, I think that was the most recent thing I did. I had my my Cubs uh, hat, and my Cubs shirt on. You know, I don't know if you guys are Cubs fans or not. But, but, uh, oh, you're uh, looking at a couple of Sox fans. <laughs> I, had feeling, I had a feeling. You know, what is it with you, Sox, Sox fan? You know, I love this because I love baseball. You know? I do too. I miss it too. And I've, you know, I've been out uh, singing the national anthem for the Sox and for the Cubs many times. But you know, so it's, you know, we 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 love baseball, but you know, the, the Sox fans they just hate those Cubs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, won't, we won't hold it against you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got you know Nick Fortuna, who's the other original Buckinghams. 
He's a Sox fan, and he hates the Cubs. And then uh, Bruce Oberoff, our keyboard player, is a Sox fan also. But but he's you know he, he watches the Cubs too. He's, you know, I was looking forward to this season so much because you know last year, uh, right about this time, I was getting ready to leave for the Happy Together tour, which was a '60s tour. You know, the Turtles. Right. We've done. We've been on that tour many times. And it goes out for three months. I mean, it's uh, 55 shows we did on June, July, and August. So, um, um, so I was on the road. So I, I didn't get to see a lot of baseball. So I was like uh, this year looking forward to it because even though we're playing, you know, I'm around back and forth more than I was last year. And then this happened, of course. So, so let's go back. Let's go back and um, let's start in the early years. You started out as the pulsations, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, the first uh, inception of uh, well, we, before we were the Buckinghams, you know. There, there was, you know, there was. I've, I've talked about this before. There was a great music scene going on in Chicago back in '65 and '66, and uh, you know, so many great bands came to fruition. You know, you had the Eyes of March, New Colony Six, Crying Shames. Uh, Shadows of Night, um, you know, we were the pop, more the, the pop rock groups playing around. And we had a lot of venues to play. We had dances, you know, mostly teen hops, teen clubs, dances, a lot of dances, holiday ballroom, uh, embassy ballroom. You know, there were all these different uh, venues for us to play. And, and we all kind of knew each other. And uh, I was in a band with my cousin, uh, Jerry Alardi. Uh, Jerry started the group. He was a drummer and singer. Uh, group called the Centuries, and we were playing for about a year and a half or so. And uh, Nick Fortuna was in that group. And um, after about a year and a half, two years of that, um, uh, there was this other band, the Pulsations, playing. And uh, so the Centuries broke up, and uh, the Pulsations asked me to join their group. And I, I thought that it was really promising at the time. Uh, they had uh, two vocalists, uh, Dennis Tufano and uh, George McGraw, uh, with with the band, you know. And uh, so I came into the group, uh, and it was in '65, and we started playing around the city. And you know, we were getting a good response, and it was a, we had a pretty good res- uh, sound for what was happening back then. And and then, of course, uh, a, a really big break came along, and. Uh, 1965 September, we we uh, we won the audition to uh, uh, be the the house band on a TV show on WGN called All Time Hits, and it was a variety show for 13 weeks, and we were the kind of the token rock band. So whoever uh, whatever was on the top of the charts that week, we would pick a couple songs and we we would do those songs on the show. You know, we do a Beatles song, whatever, whatever was there. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the sound wasn't that great because back then they, they really didn't know how to capture the sound of a, of a rock band. And they kept telling us to turn down, you know, and <laughs> I was playing on one, you know, and the drummer's playing like this, you know, I mean, he's, you know, it wasn't what, you know, you could put a lot behind it, but we got a lot of exposure from doing that show for 13 weeks. And, but what happened was we won the, uh, the audition to do the show, but they didn't like our name. They wanted something to capitalize on, on the British invasion. So, um, 
there was a guy we became friends with. Uh, his name was John O'Pager. He, he was a security guard that worked for the for WGN. And he came up with, he says, well, why don't you call it the Buckinghams? You know, they want a British sounding name. And we thought about it for one minute. And we said, okay, <laughs> Buckinghams. So, you know, we told them that would be our name. They agreed. They, WGN liked the, the idea. So we became the Buckingham's uh, royalty of rock and roll, and we started doing the show as the Buckingham's. That's, that's a very cool story. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was great exposure because, I mean, WGN was a superstation, and it was syndicated, so people were seeing it around the country, too. Right. Chicago. And not only uh, a British connection, but we have Buckingham Fountain right here in Chicago. Buckingham Fountain, yes, we do. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people think that's why we uh, came up with the name, but but really, um, I mean, we were certainly aware of the fountain. You know, um, I, the funny story was when we, we we finally, you know, that TV show led to a recording contract with uh, USA Records, Chicago label, and they brought us in the uh, studio in the old Chess Studios on uh, South Michigan Avenue. We recorded a bunch of sides, and uh, um, we um, they were cover songs mostly because it was the songs we did in our show. You know, I mean, we covered everybody. You know, we we did soul tunes, James James Brown, uh, Sam and Dave, whatever, and we did Beatles songs, and you know, so we we just picked out certain songs and recorded for the album, and uh, and of course, uh, then our manager Carl Bonfetti. Uh, who tapped on a great songwriter, Jim Holfe, for an original song. We wanted an original song. After having, uh, with USA, we had about three local Midwest hits with uh, I Call Your Name and I'll Go Crazy, and I've Been Wrong, uh, and they were all cover songs. And we got a little bit of attention, but we were looking for that original song, and so he came up with, Jim Holfe came up with Kind of a Drag. it and went in the studio and you know the rest is history i mean it just took off overnight you know and uh and it was our producer's idea to start adding horns to our recordings because we weren't really a horn band but he wanted to dress it up a little bit and make it sound bigger so uh he he brought uh his, his horn section because he had a big band that was Dan Bellock uh, who owned the Holiday Ballroom. Right. Uh, he produced us and uh, uh, so, you know, we did kind of a drag and that changed changed everything for us. You know, that was just... Uh, I'll tell you my kind of a drag story was uh, I, what, what you, what, that was what, 67? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was uh, the number one record in the country by uh, February of '67. Yeah, came out late '66. Yeah, I, well, I was—I uh, I must have been just a, a lad of twelve or thirteen, and and actually, uh, my sister—I have older sisters who would always all go go and buy records, but, but but the first single that I went and bought was kind of a drag, and I from money I saved from cut lawns or whatever I was doing at the time as a, as a 12 year old, you know? Uh, and, uh, and, uh, I, uh, I, I probably still have it somewhere, but I don't know exactly where all my, my, uh, 45s are, but. Oh, that's, that's the song that changed everything for us. All of a sudden we were on the national 
national charts, you know, and, and, uh, and it became a number one record on top of it. We were just uh, a very exciting time. You know, 67 was a magical year for, for Buckingham. Now, a lot of a lot of bands from the Chicago area back in the in the '60s. Usually, a lot of them had their initial exposure on like WLS. Was that an outlet that featured you initially? Or yeah, because um, I mean, I'm sure that if you talk to anybody uh, from all those groups, uh, which you probably know, we do that rock show now at, uh, occasionally uh, around Chicago in the Arcada Theater and. Uh, you know, it's right on Estes. It's a great venue to play. The people love it. They come out for that show. We've probably been at the Arcada about five times now doing that show. But if you if you talk to any of the guys, you know that's the, the Brian Shames and New Colony Six, the Ides of March. Uh, they'll tell you how much uh, WLS and WCFL meant to uh, to us. You know, as far as getting our careers going. And the radio personalities, uh, of course, number one is Dick Biondi, uh, who was so supportive. But all the other guys were, too. All the, you know, I can think of you know, Dex Card. And, and Dan Records, Landecker. Yeah, Landecker. And that was a little later, Landecker. But uh, Art Roberts. Uh, Art Roberts. Mark Weber. Uh, Mark Weber, right. Uh, these guys were very supportive. And if they liked your record, they liked what they heard, <clears throat> they would put it on on a regular rotation <clears throat> on the station. So it would come on a certain amount of times every day. And on WLS, the exposure was great because you could hear uh, it coast to coast because it was a 50,000-watt station. Mm-hmm. You could uh, hear it all over the country late at night. You know, I've had people tell me from back in the day, I've had Paul Schaefer, Tell me that, uh, you know, because he's a Canadian, he'd be up in Canada. He said, ULS, and I heard you guys back, you know, he knew uh, all about us and uh, the history of the band and you know, so forth. But uh, yeah, WLS and, and CFL, they were big supporters of us Chicago bands back in the day. They were very instrumental in, in launching us, getting us off the ground, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Well, what uh, what I failed to say is I lived in Cleveland, Ohio at the time as a young lad, and uh, and so I would listen to WLS too with the transistor radio under my pillow at night, you know, and and that's that's how I got uh, connected with Kind of a Drag, and but now what was the follow up to Kind of a Drag? Now you had, you had several hits, but um, what was the next follow up to that? Well, the next follow up was Don't You Care. Um, <clears throat> But what happened was, um, is really crazy. Uh, here we had the number one record in the country, kind of a drag, and uh, uh, our contract, record contract was up with USA. You know? yeah. I don't know why they didn't have the sense to re-sign us or whatever. And, and uh, so, you know, it's kind of a great position to be in, to have the number one record in the country and uh, be looking for a record label, you know. So uh, everybody was knocking at our door, you know, we, you know, and we wound up signing with Columbia Records and, and a new, new producer manager came into the picture, uh, James William Gersio. Jim Gersio was uh, uh, our manager and producer, later on went on to manage and produce the group Chicago. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we signed with uh, Columbia and we, you know, we were signing contracts on our way to New York, 
and uh, and you know a day later we were in the studio uh, cutting "Don't You Care," which was another Jim Holvey song, and uh, that was the song they were you know releasing as a single. And then at the same time, USA because they still owned all the masters from the kind of a drag album. Um, uh, they re- they released to counter it. They released our recording of Lottie Miss Claudie as a cover too. Uh, because of the success of Kind of a Drag, Lottie went up the charts too. So uh, we actually had three songs on the national charts at once because Kind of a Drag was just starting to come down a little bit. And Don't You Care was up there in the top 10, I think. And Lottie was behind that. And uh, so, you know, we had a lot going on. So but don't, you care, don't You Care was on Time and Charges, Greg. And your second one. Your second. Yeah, yeah actually, we had... Uh, Two, two hits off of Time and Charges. We had uh, Don't You Care and we had Mercy, Mercy, Mercy also uh, was uh, off that album. That's They released Mercy as the next single Columbia did after Don't You Care. Uh, when they heard that recording that we did, they were, they said that's got to be the next single. It made us very happy because it took us in another direction. It gave us a chance to do something a little different because that's kind of a, uh, well, we, you know, it's kind of a soul tune. Uh, it, it is more soulful. And, uh, and uh, we got it from uh, a couple soul guys, uh, Johnny Guitar Watson. Uh, Watson and Williams had a, a minor hit with it. And, and our, our producer, Gersio, brought that song to us to put on, just to put on the album. And, uh, of course, originally, uh, Mercy was a jazz hit with uh, Cannonball Adderley. had an instrumental, as Joe Zolinol wrote that song. And then the, the, the soul guys, uh, Watson and Williams, uh, turned it, put lyrics to it, and turned it into a soul tune. So we took their version and copied that and uh, recorded it. And of course, you know, we were a pop group and we were pretty hot at the time and we just came off of two big hits. So, uh, you know, we had the bigger hit, of course, you know, I mean, actually, uh, Mercy was the second biggest hit, I think, that we had, you know, next to kind of a drag. Now, now did you record that album in New York? Yeah, the time of charges we did in New York. Well, you did, you did three albums that year, right? Three albums in 67, I guess, or 66, yeah. 67. Yeah, well, well, the kind of a drag album we recorded in 66, and it came out in 66. Okay. And then uh, Time Time and Charges was 67. And, uh, and then uh, Portraits came out uh, later in 67. And, uh, and that was, Portraits was our Sgt. Pepper. You know, that was, we, the band put a lot of effort into that album and we were really focused and we spent uh, a month or two out in LA, we rented a house and we rehearsed every day and wrote songs, and, you know, worked out the arrangements and went in the studio and it was kind of a concept album and we were expecting much bigger things to happen with portraits, but you know, at the time we were a pop group that was making hit singles and people weren't buying into us, I don't think, becoming a more concept 
album group, so uh, didn't work out. It still produced two hits, right? Hey Baby and Susan, right? Yeah. They stuck Hey Baby and Susan on that album. Uh, they, they almost didn't fit on those uh, the sound of those uh, singles, but they wanted to have the, the singles on the albums to sell albums, you know, and, and that's... <laughs> made sense, you know, and so, uh, yeah, uh, Hey Baby and Susan were on that album. And then, of course, the last album uh, we we did uh, with Columbia was uh, In One Ear and Gone Tomorrow, uh, which was, that was in 68, you know, and uh, didn't have the success with the, you know, the single off of that album was uh, a song that our keyboard player, Marty Greb, wrote uh, uh, Back in Love Again. Song and uh, we we just didn't uh, it didn't quite do it you know it made it on the charts but uh, it went up a ways but not like the success of the t- you know top ten of the other songs. Right. So you went from Chess Records in Chicago to New York to L.A. and <laughs> so you 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 guys were doing some traveling at that time. Huh? Well, I mean, you know, we were constantly on the road in '67. We uh, toured probably approached close to 300 dates we played that year. We were always out plan. And, uh, you know, we we would come into New York uh, to record, you know, or L.A., make a record, and then head back out again and go back out and play, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, We were constantly on the go at that time, you know. That's why when people ask me, what was it like, or what do you remember, you know. You know, well, at the time, I didn't have time to think about it, you know. It was, it was such a whirlwind, crazy time for us. So, what was it like working with Jim uh, Gershia? I mean, he's obviously wanted, like you said, to, to be uh, pretty uh, successful with Chicago and Blood Sweat Tears. And well, Gershia was a very talented uh, record producer. That's no doubt, no doubt about that. He helped us uh, after kind of a drag. We had. Uh, uh, success with uh, another uh, four top ten records. Um, <clears throat> he produced them. He knew his way around the studio. He was a great musician. You know, he could play guitar and bass. Uh, he, he, you know, he's a very creative guy. You know, no doubt about it. Uh, he was a, a good businessman. Uh, let me just put it this way: he was a good businessman for himself. I don't know what I could say. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like I said, he went on to. Uh, manage and produce uh, Chicago, and he did uh, their first, I don't know how many albums, you probably know better than I do, but we had our differences too, as Chicago yeah. with him, because we weren't, uh, we started to realize how important it was to have uh, control of our own publishing and writing, and, uh, you know, and he had that, you know, so pay a lot of attention at the time, we, we were too busy chasing girls and having a good time, you know. <laughs> So, so after after uh, the Bucky Hips uh, split up, and in, in when when was it? About seventy or so. Uh, yeah, we broke up. We were together from sixty-five to seventy, and uh, and by seventy, um, decided that uh, you know there were a lot of reasons. You know, people say, "Why'd you guys break up?" But you know, there, there's there's never one reason. I mean. We had guys in the band who wanted to try something different, do some new stuff. We had me and Dennis Tufano. We wanted to be singer-songwriters at the time. We started writing together, doing more of a, a duo. Uh, our sound was um, 
leaning more toward what was going on in those early 70s with, you know, James Taylor, John Mitchell, Carol King, the Eagles, America. We were kind of leaning that way musically. And that's, we signed a record deal with, uh, of course, with a great record producer, uh, great music guy. Uh, Lou Adler, right? Yeah, Lou Adler, we signed with him. And that brought us out to L.A. quite a bit. We had some success with it especially on a song that I wrote, a song called Music Everywhere. Um, so that was what we wanted to do. And, and uh, so, you know, we were kind of pulling in different directions. And if you remember um, the music scene, I mean, God, it seemed like overnight we went from AM to FM. And groups like us, you know, the Grassroots, the Turtles, Gary Puckett, the Union Gap, um, you know, we were sort of becoming... Uh, a little bit passe, I guess, or whatever. Things were just changing. You know, all of a sudden you had uh, the Monterey Pop Festival, and, you know, Woodstock had happened, and you had the heavier sounds and Santana, Janis Joplin, and so forth. And so it was, and all of a sudden there were albums, uh, concept albums. And, and so the music scene changed a lot, too. So that kind of, uh, you know, hurt us a little bit from what we were doing. And then all through the 70s, um, you know, there were no Buckinghams. I mean, we didn't play at all. And there, there didn't seem to be much interest in uh, 60s music, you know, at all. Until 1980, all of a sudden 1980 comes along, everything became 60s again. Right. Yeah, I think there's every resurgence every 15 to 20 years of the music from, from 15 to 20 years before, prior to that. Yeah. yeah. It seems we like because that 60s music, that late 60s, it was such great music. It was oh, great yeah. songs and uh, great recordings and whatever. So our audience weren't old yet in, in 1980. Uh, they were, you know, maybe in their early 30s or 35, you know, so, but they were starting to become established. They had some money to spend. Uh, they wanted to hear their music again. They wanted yeah. to come out. The festivals became really big. I mean, the, the Buckingham's, came back together in 1980 because of um, uh, the program director uh, from WLS, uh, John Guerin, called me up and said, can you guys do a reunion show? And I was a little like, well, I don't know, you know. So I started calling the guys, and and two of them were available, uh, Dennis Tufano and Nick Fortuna. And uh, Marty Greb was playing with uh, Chicago at the time. And, so he wasn't available, and I, we lost our drummer, original drummer, John Polis, had passed away just uh, a couple months before that, you know. Uh, so we didn't have him. So we, we, we uh, got a collection of guys that we knew uh, together and rehearsed for a couple weeks and uh, went out and played Chicago Fest. And that was uh, the summer of 1980. And uh, Jane Byrne, our mayor of Chicago, was... Uh, behind that she was behind us doing that too and then you know 12,000 people came out on the pier to play that show uh and you could feel this excitement again heating up for 60s music Buckingham's and and then uh you know we we came back uh played a few more dates around Chicago and then for a couple summers uh, Dennis would come in because he lived in LA and the three of us would get together with the band and play some more dates. And then all of a sudden, I started getting a lot of offers to do shows nationally. And that's when uh, Nick Fortuna and I decided to put a band together and 
go out and play and uh, for real. And then before you knew it, uh, it was 1985 and uh, we got an offer to play on the 85 Happy Together Tour, which uh, played for seven months all over the country for uh, seven months. We played over 200 shows. That was a real launching pad for us to get back out. And uh, we've been doing stuff ever since. We've had uh, the band, uh, you know, a few changes in the group here and there through the years, but it's been consistent. We do still play a lot of dates every year. We were, before this um, uh, COVID-19 happened, the pandemic, we were scheduled, you know, all our dates for March, April, May, and June were canceled right away or moved to next year or late in the year. And, and most of July is gone now. It'll probably all be gone. Right. We're still sitting sitting at about 15 dates in August, but I wouldn't be surprised if those dates uh, went bye-bye. You know? Yeah, I'm hoping by September we get to get out and play some music and see some other bands and whatever. So, you know. Yeah, well, this is a, it's a crazy, crazy time. And it's, uh, it's something this world has not uh, experienced in 100 years, you know. I don't know what to say. It's it's just uh, terrible when you, when you see the suffering and the pain. Not only do we have people dying, which is the, the worst that could possibly happen, uh, and then of course there's a lot of people that are out of work now and you know raise their family and, and uh, it, it's just a, a terrible situation. But we've got uh, you know we're strong. This is a strong nation. We'll get through it. You know. We'll, before. We did a hundred years ago and technology's a lot better now. Yeah. But, um, so getting back to the, uh, to the, when you guys regrouped, I know Tommy Shekel was when it was played with the band for quite a while. And have we well, interviewed, we interviewed Tommy. Uh, oh gosh. I don't know. Almost a year ago now. Wasn't it right? Yeah. It's been about a year. I think he's like episode seven or eight. Yeah. Well, Tommy is a very, very talented. We all know that he's a great drummer. I mean, We've heard him play, and he played with us for a lot of years. Um, and he's still my dear friend. I mean, him and I have never lost uh, touch contact. We get together all the time, you know. We, you know, our, our wives and the you know four of us get together, go have dinner, and haven't lately, but uh, we still talk all the time. So he's still one of my best friends and a dear friend of, of mine, and and talented in a lot of ways. I mean, he's a great drummer, but he's very creative. I mean, he's done a lot of artwork for me, and websites, and, uh, you know, I miss him on the road. It was one of the guys I enjoyed being out playing with when we, we travel. But, uh, you know, t- Tom's been uh, out of the group now since, uh, I think it was 2010, uh-huh. he went with Paul Revere. Um, and he fit really well into that group. He was re- really, uh, uh, it, it was a great career. You know, it's just really a shame what happened to Paul Revere because uh, yeah. it was a great opportunity for him. And it was, uh, they had a really great show. But, uh, but you know, we replaced him with, um, we have a Chicago drummer, Rocky Penn, and Rocky's mm-hmm. been around Chicago playing with different people all the time. And, and, you know, great guy that, you know, he's plays in the pocket. He's not as flashy as Tom, but he's, uh, uh, which is fine, you know, but he plays, uh, he backs you up great. He's, 
you know, it adds a little vocals too, because he, he sings, but uh, he's a really good drummer. You know, he's really solid, you know, and he gives us what we need. So he's been with us uh, ever since Tom left. And then we've got Dave Zane on uh, guitar and vocals. And Dave's played with a lot of different people. And he's a very talented guitar player and vocalist. I mean, he's, he's, he's the top end of our voice, you know. Uh, right. Right. I know Dave. I know Dave pretty well. So, yeah. Yeah. So he's and he's a real nice guy. You know, he's, he's easy going. You know, I don't have to slap him or hit him or anything. You know, to get, <laughs> he just goes along. You know, he's one of those guys that goes along with things. And easy going. I'm just I'm just kidding around. But he's he's a really good guy. Right. And, uh, and then Bruce, Bruce Sobroff's been with us since 85, since we. Uh, finished that Happy Together tour in 85. Um, uh, Bruce joined us and he's been with us ever since, you know, on keyboards, and background vocals, you know. And now we got a great horn site. You know, we, we very rarely play without horns. And around Chicago, we've got a great section. And not just in Chicago, but when we go out a certain way or drivable dates, you know, we've got Carlo Isabelli on the trumpet and, and uh, Chuck Morgan on the trombone. And, uh, um, and Dan Moffat on saxophone. And uh, these guys are great players. You know, Carlos and Chuck have been with us for forever. I don't even remember what year it is now. And, uh, it, you know, and when we go out on the road and do flying dates, uh, I contract horn players because we have charts. You know, they read the charts. And we get a lot of a great staple of horn players in different cities. And they just come in and play with us, you know. It's cool. Right, yeah, we, we know Carlo quite well, too, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah well, he's, he's a good guy. You know, he's eyes yeah. on. You know. <laughs> now, since 2000, uh, you've guys uh, recorded a, a number of other albums. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, luckily, uh, you know, I created a little recording studio so I could do a lot of pre-production stuff before we go in somewhere else and do it for real, you know, for the drums and everything, but I can sort of scratch out the, the tracks, uh, basic tracks and put things together. And we, we've done, we've done a whole bunch of things. We did, you know, we did a, a live direct to disc on our, I think it was a 25th anniversary show at the Vic theater. Um, it's kind of funky. It didn't come out the way we wanted it to, but, uh, you know, we did a Christmas album that we still do a Christmas show several times a year because of that album. Uh, you know, an album called Reaching Back. I thought it was a good idea to to reach back to the sounds that we had back in the 60s and do some new songs with that sound. Because okay, a lot of fans would say, hey, why don't you record some songs again, some new songs, but go back to that sound you had in the 60s. And I, and I did that. I put it together, and it's a great album. But, uh, you know, it's really hard to get, uh, you know, our audience, we're sort of in a bubble. Our audience wants to hear the old songs, the old things, you know, and it's really hard to attract a new audience. And we're not going to, they, they don't buy new stuff. They want to hear the old stuff. And a young audience, um, you know, they're not looking at us. You know, we're, we're the old guys out there playing. So now, uh, you know, now, the one album you mentioned, the one that was recorded at the Vic, that's Places in Five. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite albums. Uh, I don't see much press on it. Uh, but my question is, uh, the acapella version of Kind of a Drag, was that intentional or did that just happen? 
it was intentional. Um, you know, well, for that show, when we did it, it was kind of uh, more spontaneous. But then, you know, we did an album. It was original songs. And uh, me and Bruce Oberoff had a big part of that album. It was called Terra Firma. Uh-huh. It was a collection of songs that Bruce and I had written over a period of time. And the album didn't turn out to be real cohesive as far as the songs being connected to one another. It, it could have been five different bands recording that album, you know, the different sounds. I mean, they were done well. They were recorded really well. I mean, there was a song on there called 99.9 that I wrote that's a, a little more, I don't know what you would call it. It's not pop. It's almost, you know, I could almost hear uh, Enrique Iglesias doing the song. <laughs> did a verse in Spanish on there, you know. And then there were pop songs on there. There was stuff that sounded a little more soulful. And we did a studio version of kind of, that's why you brought that up, kind of a drag. We did the acapella version. <laughs> I used uh, the, the, on the vocals, the bass voice on that was a studio guy that we brought in to sing because none of us had that baritone, you know. Uh, you know, that was all the way back in 95. And, uh, and you know, we've done several things. And I've, I've done re-records of all the hits uh, because, you know, Columbia, Sony now, Sony owns all the masters to the original recordings of the hits. And... Uh, so now, tell, us, tell us a little bit about your solo stuff that you've done. Uh, you mentioned reaching back and and uh, 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 that the band did, but I know your your title, the titles of yours kind of have that same kind of feel to them. You know about your journey and living in the moment and, well, and trying not to fade. <laughs> Our ex-guitar player, his wife, wrote lyrics and, well, a few songs I wrote myself. But, I, you know, I was just looking for, uh, when I did that album, I was looking for a way to experiment and get into the digital recording world. So I had a digital 24-track studio. I was sort of learning my way around that. So that album came out of songs I wrote and experimenting with that album. And then the Living in the Moment album, I did a couple years ago now uh, in my studio and it was, I, I did everything myself and uh, there's not even real drums on it I programmed the drums <laughs> I played the bass I played the guitars uh, uh, Dave Zane played on one of the tracks uh, Living in the Moment on that track he played some guitar uh, I did the vocals I had uh my, my cousin Jerry Alardi that I mentioned was with me in the centuries back in the early 60s. Great singer, great voice, just a great voice. So I had him come in and sing some some uh, duet stuff and harmonies with me. And uh, it was a collection of, of, um, of uh, songs that I had written. Uh, I just felt very creative at the time and, and uh, wrote all these songs and ideas were coming out like real fast. You know, sometimes you record, you write something and you do something and you say, oh, I'll probably never write another song. It's like, 
you know, your, your creative juices are gone, you know, you're done. Then all of a sudden one day you wake up and you start jotting things down and writing songs again. And pretty soon I had a collection of uh, a whole bunch of songs and that's how living in the moment came about. And I put it out there and uh, people find it. And I don't, in this, in this digital age of streaming music and so forth. And uh, it it would take a real big budget to get stuff, the publicity and need. So I just put it out there and uh, it's available. Living in the moment is available on all the download sites and streaming sites like Spotify and, you know, iTunes and so forth all the way down the line. There's probably about 30 different streaming sites. It's there and I sell some of them, but that's the main reason I, I do it now or do music, new, new music is just to stay relevant and creative. You know, I've got four songs right now that I've uh, recorded and uh, you know, I did an original song on my last little uh, basement studio video a song called there comes a time and that's an original song uh so i keep writing and recording songs and putting them out there and and in the moment was a great experience and i got a lot of help uh, input from jim peterick on that album too because uh he made a lot of suggestions and and uh threw some ideas out at me too. So I, I just love to, to do it now. I just love to write and record and play those songs live. I don't know, you know, with the, the Buckingham schedule and, and so forth, that would take a, a big undertaking to have another entity, another band and go out and play those dates. And who am I going to play them to? Those are original songs. Um, I don't know if there's an audience for it, you know, uh, but it's creative, so I just love to write and play. Well, well, uh, it was just, we were talking to someone not too long ago that said that they've almost rather put out because because of the digital age now where everything is is done digitally um, that they'd rather put out a single now and uh, and then do a whole album. I mean, you get a single done, you get one song done, go ahead and put it out, you know, and uh, and it's kind of come full circle. From back in the days when we used to go and buy our singles, you know. Who's doing albums or collection songs on an album? It's just putting a single out there, you know. They're even starting to dictate to us how we should write the song, you know, put the hook on the front because everybody listens to it and they're attracted to it. If they listen to it for so many seconds, then they have to pay for it, you know. So <laughs> it's right. And as long as you're out there putting putting music out there, then uh, then you know that uh, you've you've got an audience out there. So, so you guys are uh, members of a few Hall of Fames, as well as uh, the inaugural inductees for the Illinois Rock and Roll Museum on Route 66. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, we were supposed to do that uh, induction ceremony, and all this was supposed to happen right when the pandemic was going on, and they canceled it for a future date and uh so uh, you know, we're honored and happy to be a part of that i mean illinois is uh, you know that's our our state and chicago is our city and and it's it's a big deal for us you know we were inducted um recently into the iowa rock and roll hall of fame you know so uh, that was kind of cool we had an induction ceremony for that we were the only out-of-state band that was uh, inducted this year mm-hmm. uh, 
us. So that, that was cool. So we're taking it one state at a time. We'll be hey. <laughs> to the Cleveland uh, Rock and Roll Hall. <laughs> you work your way there. So where do we find the Buckingham's uh, social media wise? Of course, you know, you can just go to the Buckingham's on, on uh, Facebook. And, uh, and, and we're all over, uh, you know, all over YouTube now. Our Buckingham's Facebook uh, uh, up there. All, all the videos I've been doing, I've got my own YouTube uh, going on with all the different videos I've done. The Carl G. Marisi one. But uh, Facebook, uh, we try to keep that up to date all the time and, and uh, put new stuff on there. And just go to the Buckingham's when you're on Facebook. Um, and then our website is, uh, you know, thebuckinghams.com is the website. And uh, normally I would say uh, it's a good place to go to see our schedule when we're playing. But uh, <laughs> what's going on, what's up there right now needs to be uh, either taken down or, re- I mean, it, it, it doesn't make any sense to, uh, uh, to even try to change anything because we don't know yet what's going to happen with the dates and uh so forth but uh but you know there's there's other things to see besides the schedule uh, you know on the websites so buckinghams.com is a good place to go and um and like i said join us on facebook and uh, i usually have an events page on on facebook uh, i try to keep that up to date but but uh you know it's it's unbelievable we've been uh, performing now over 50 years <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Six decades, I figured, right? <laughs> well, we're very fortunate. We're very grateful. We, we have uh, an audience that's very loyal and they still want to hear the music and they still kind of want to come out and join us. And I'm very grateful for that. You know, that uh, we, we've got, uh, you know, I enjoy, you know, when we finish a concert and we do autographs afterwards and meet people and listen to stories that people say, you know, well, when you guys recorded this song, I just met my girlfriend or we just broke up. Sure. But, you know, it, it's just a, an honor to be uh, part of their, their history, their life, you know, and, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a great feeling. So I hope we can, uh, continue doing that for a bunch of years yet you know we're losing a year right now though what's going on here yes yes we are yes we are we'll all be back yeah well thank you very much for joining us carl uh, this, uh, hey, thanks this for our, our 50th podcast uh, hopefully we'll see you soon uh somewhere <laughs> well uh yeah I, I wish i could say where but uh when we start playing again maybe you guys can come out and uh, join us hang out you know most definitely thank you very much for joining us okay just be safe stay well get past this and uh onward and upward god bless thank you yes sir thank you very much so that was kyle jimmy see the buckingham some uh some wonderful stories some great stories some uh some classic stories right there from from carl most definitely most you know they uh some great stuff from back in the 60s and uh you know, how they got together and uh, how they got those n- number one hits. I mean, gosh, you know, you, you, you start out and bam, you got a number one hit out there. Yeah, yeah. And they've had, they had several hits out there. And, uh, and it was great talking with Carl and, and uh, getting his, uh, his insight into, uh, into all that they've, uh, they've done and, and, and all that they've accomplished. Yep, and they've been rocking the world since the 60s, and now they've come to a screeching halt just like everybody else, and they're chomping at the bit to get back out there. 
And they will soon. They will soon. I'm sure of that. Yes, things are going to be starting to open up soon. And uh, we'll all be able to get out there and see the Buckinghams uh, somewhere around the Chicago area, I'm sure. Yes, indeed. So don't forget, folks, to uh, share and uh, share the podcast and, and join our page. Uh, uh, what, what else do they need to do, Ray? Uh, uh, join, you know, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on YouTube. Follow us on YouTube. You might find some surprises there once in a while. I'm just saying. So okay. uh, make sure you follow us there. All right. All right. We will. I will. Okay. <laughs> I already do. <laughs> all right, great. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks, uh, thanks to Kyle once again, and uh, and uh, we, we've, as a matter of fact, our, our next week's interview is going to be kind of a tie-in, kind of a follow-up to this one, uh, to the Buckinghams. Well, we'll, we'll see who that who that could be. See you all next Tuesday, same podcast station, <laughs> same podcast time. <laughs> okay, Batman. <laughs> Have you. a great week, everybody. Thank you. The Rock and Roll Chicago podcast does not own the rights to any of the music that's played on this podcast. The music is used to promote the band or musicians that are interviewed.